Welcome back to the Glass Moon podcast. This week we're going to be delving into the Glass Moon formula, look at the blueprint, the research uh, and the history that, that's led us to this point. And I'm joined again, of course, by the wonderful Carol Edmund, founder and CEO of Glass Moon. How are you today, Carol? I'm, I'm good. Um, actually, today is a good day. Um, I think if anybody wants to get over their perfectionism, I highly recommend trying to record a podcast in lockdown or semi-lockdown as we sort of come out of it and so thank you to your pay for your patience and kindness <laughs> and uh, the imperfection or the perfect imperfection that is our podcast so uh, but no I'm good I'm good today is a is a hot but but good day how, how are you doing how's it going for you I'm all right I'm all right I'm all right now that I'm in the shade I have to say it is beautiful though so I uh, need to make the most of it while we've got it so um but yeah yeah podcast in lockdown we'll have all these wonderful memories to think and to look back on when we're, um, you know, being interviewed in Desert Island Discs or whatever it is in years to come. Anyway, in each episode, we're, we're, we're going to be diving into the thought leadership of and the research and our own experience creating the human organisation. Workplaces and leadership that consciously and relentlessly create truly inclusive cultures of trust. A place where really where our inherent skills and potential can thrive. So today we're going to, as I said, we're going to getting a, a sort of deeper dive into the glass moon formula. Um, I want to be able to explore with you, Carol, what, what is it behind um, the research? Where does it come from? What's the foundation and what's leading towards this blueprint, this approach that we're creating uh, to build human businesses that really thrive? And I, I, I know that Glass Moon is built on incredible research and, and, and decades of experience. So just give me the essence, give me the core about your research and how that forms the foundation of the work you're doing in Glass Moon. You're right, it is sort of decades of, of experience and lived experience and sort of corporate life and um, being a mum and all sorts of things. But I think the, the particular sort of formula that we're really delving into now is as a function of a bunch of research that I did um, nearly five years ago now. And I know you and I love talking about research and research process. I know it's going to be a bit dry for other folks. So I'll, I'll, keep this, um, I'll keep this succinct as best I can. But effectively, I, I carried out a qualitative social inquiry. Now, you know, what, what does that really mean? Well, what, I, what, what I didn't do was hard code, lots of quantitative data. Um, but what I did do was mind my own data, talk to lots of people, um, listen to their stories, their lived experiences, uh, listen to some incredible epiphanies and turning points in people's career. And as I, as I mined that data, I found some really interesting things. And I think I said in one of the earlier podcasts about people could really clearly articulate what got in their way um, and what didn't help them sort of attain uh, what they wanted to and that's and that's how we found barriers bias and beliefs which is you know something we're very passionate about particularly in relation to inclusion and diversity and equality but once I sort of got my head around that things get in the way and it was almost a sort of kind of 
no shit moment. And I got over the frustration of that. I thought, so what? And as much as, yes, things get in our way, but what can we do about that? And I adopted a, a real sort of appreciative inquiry approach to looking at the positive core or what, what were the kind of core threads, if you like, the sort of golden nuggets that people shared or talked about in their stories that I found really, really fascinating. And, and as I say, really mind my own data in terms of what did help, what worked, what enabled, enabled me and others to sort of navigate, have this mindset of we're navigating, there are blockages, you know, there are things in the way. And the, the research question, the, the exam question, as I like to think, was about, was about lived experiences and it was about career journeys and it was about what are the factors that enable us to attain. And essentially what I found was there were, there were three factors that initially emerged from, from the data and the stories. Um, and, I, I, and actually those, um, those first three factors all began with F. And I was really tight. I was really tempted to call the thesis "Getting Your F in Harmony," um, but I didn't because I wasn't sure how how well that would go down in a scholarly context. But anyway, as it turned out, there were another two factors that also emerged as I just went a bit deeper with the data and thought about it a bit a bit longer and a bit harder. So there were five factors in total, and they're all incredibly interconnected. Yes, you can take any one of them on a standalone basis, but it's the interconnected nature, which I guess comes from the sort of systems thinking, systems theory approach that you know I took to, to some of the research, but it was the interconnected nature of these factors and they made sense to me. And so then I had to kind of do a bit of testing in terms of do they make sense to others? And the short answer was they, they, they seemed to, but, it, but look, it wasn't done on some huge empirical testing basis. Um, but what happened after I finished the research or just as I was coming to the point where I was wrapping it up, um, I stepped back into another exec role, which was a part of the plan. Um, but as it, as it turns out, I don't think I could have gone back into another exec role or exec environment where I had every opportunity to, to test out this research um, and to see whether it worked. Because what I got the opportunity to do in the adult specialist care business was really embrace a culture of inclusion. Um, for both the people in the receipt of services and for the people doing the work. And there's this beautiful symbiotic relationship of how we really talked and worked and, and thought about inclusion in this organization. And so um, we really came at it from a what's our purpose? How do we get it right for our people? Um, and, it, and, and it just gave us this wonderful chance to, I guess, for, for me to take this research and, and bring it to life. And so, um, and as I thought about it, you know, I'd, a lot of what we were doing, I'd always done through my leadership, sort of working and practice and thing, but I just could work a bit deeper and a bit better because I'd gone from having an implicit understanding as to why some of this stuff works, a much more explicit understanding. And in this live real-time ops environment, um, we could just bring a lot of it to life for vulnerable adults and people doing the work. And it really kind of it focuses your mind when you're in a 24-7 operational environment. But what I was finding was a lot of the insights I'd had from the research, I was seeing them playing out in our business and our organization. Um, so there was insights, ideas, this fresh perspective that I had. But what really emerged um, was uh, three things from that um, trust. I've always known that trust is crucial in terms of building trust in organizations, but you could really see it. It was palpable in terms of how important building a trusting environment and a trusting culture of inclusion was. Connecting people to the higher purpose, which in, a, in an organization like an adult specialist care, where it's very clear, or it should be very clear, what's the nature of the work. And then the third thing was, 
I've always been about unlocking potential. Um, and in unlocking potential, what you see is you see discretionary effort coming from people in ways that, uh, incredible ways that you couldn't even have anticipated actually. And of course, where does that bring us to? It brings us to intrinsic motivation which of course is, is, your, is your research. And I'm sure, you know, as we said before, you and I have known each other for a long time. So I definitely think, you know, your work and the influence of um, what we brought to fruition in, in Bright Horizons, for example, and, and starting to do work together in regard. Um, and the research that you've done in relation to coming to the drivers was, was definitely there, was running in the background of my head in terms of how important trust and intrinsic motivation is, which, which brings us on to yeah. your research. So beautifully segued in. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, what I absolutely love about what you describe is, is <clears throat> apart from obviously the depth of the research that you undertook and the experience that you brought to it, but it's that is the clearing the path. It's not about there are blockers. We know there are, but actually, how do we really clear the path? How do we create that navigation system through those five, five factors that you described so we can attain? And it's incredibly powerful stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. And I, and I know that sort of both our journeys um, over the experience of our careers have, have run in a sort of a, a similarity and a parallel with what we've experienced. But I a lot of my research, really, which now stems over a decade, which I don't know where the time's gone, but um, it continues to this day, obviously. But... It was really born out of a frustration um, of really wanting to, as a, as a leader, leading huge teams internationally, great big projects, you know, all, all of that great stuff. But I had always positioned myself as a leader that my role was to create the best environment for people to thrive. And um, my frustration came really from things such as being boxed into, um, you know, the nine box rating, which we've spoken about before, um, the, com the confinements of policies and rules, uh, the engagement um, uh, well-being surveys that we used to have land on our desks once a year. And, and interesting enough, and I, and I always put this down as a bit of an epiphany moment, I do think there were several other things that came along with it, but that piece around actually receiving my scores on the doors, as I used to call it, on the engagement survey, and actually I'd passed, I'd done quite well, but I didn't know why. I didn't know why this, this survey, which actually I didn't know whether individuals had filled it in on a rainy, rainy Monday and they were fed up or a sunny Friday and they were just off down to the pub. You know, the results were six weeks old by the time they landed on my desk. And whilst they showed quite a, a sunny picture, I wanted to know what I was doing well and the areas that I could do improvement, I wanted to actually know how. And going back to a previous life as both, um, as I said, both ballet dancer and um, biologist, those two things came together for me at that point through elite, really elite human performance. Um, I wanted to understand the wiring behind it. And that was really where I then undertook um, both primary and secondary research in terms of really understanding the neurobiology of trust and intrinsic motivation. I wanted, to, I wanted to get underneath the skin. I wanted to understand at a biological, a human system level, what was it that really motivated us to put in discretionary effort, to see the things that both you and I have seen when somebody is really flying uh, and being able to do their best, because not only because they can, they've got the space to do so, but actually because they, they really want to. 
And I wanted to be able to, to understand what conditions I could do, uh, create as a leader at that biological level. So um, it really, it, it brought me all the way around to understanding it all the way from anthropology, evolutionary biology, cognitive neuroscience, and bringing so much great academic data, and as I say, my own primary research as well together to understand what has now become a formula. And you mentioned the drivers, and the drivers, of course, are an, an acronym. There are seven fundamental factors that actually, when they're nurtured, um, are recipe for what our brain perceives for and expects for um, success, thriving, well-being, and of course, um, intrinsic motivation. Um, the, the D stands for, very quickly for everybody listening, the D stands for direction, the R stands for, for relative position, uh, I is inclusion, um, it's not just a nice to have, it's critical to our well-being. We also need a V, which is voice and choice, a sense of autonomy, a sense of influence in our world. We have E for equity, a sense of fairness, um, R, the second R in here is a sense of reliability, certainty. Uh, we are predicting uh, animals um, and also S is for stretch, a sense of uh, progress, growth and adaptation. We need all of these in exactly the same way as we need food and shelter. And the way in which I saw this at a really simple level is that we need to be able to create environments where the brain is fully switched on and it's only fully switched on we only have access to all areas when it trusts what's going on or, or it's psychological safety is the other term that's often used and in a, in a in the opposite when it's not safe it's in a threat state it starts to shut everything else down we start to make mistakes it affects our health it affects our well-being we switch off our empathy circuits we can't relate to others you know and we often find what's fascinating is we've created these environments that actually really aren't fit for human beings. So yeah, my research fits, I think both our research coming together in terms of these five factors for attainment and navigation to, to clear the path to reach our potential. And the underpinning of where the drivers comes in in terms of the neuro, neurobiological level of psychological safety, what, what we actually need to thrive. And as leaders and our organizations, if we can use these, which are actually, when it really comes down to it, the application of this is really simple. I mean, it, it needs to, to, to undo a lot of what's been done in the workplace to this point, but actually the application is really simple. And if we can nurture all of these elements and combine the, the, this research together, we can create I just think we can create the most amazing places to work. We can just do work better. Um, we, we've got to change something because the way we're working at the moment is, is not working at all. So that, I suppose that really then brings me to, we think about the five factors and the, the attainment model that you've got, um, the drivers sitting alongside this a combination of that. And of course, far too many years of experience that both you and I need to admit to. But ultimately, how do we put this together? What are we doing to put this together so that actually people can get their hands around it? What's, what's the tangibility of this? What are the, what are, what's the product out of this, if you like? I think one of the, one of the key things is letting organization know, organizations know that there is a different way to do uh, 
to do things and to work and to think differently. And I think so many organisations are stuck in the sort of status quo of, I talk a lot about command and control, um, stuck in the same old, same old. And what will be really interesting is as we emerge from lockdown and we're post-COVID or in the new COVID-19 era of what that, that looks like is, how can we use that as an opportunity to reset in a way that we needed to, to reset work and organisations and, and how we think about it? And if I think about my, you know, my experiences that I had in my last organisation and, and seeing how things can be done differently, if you're willing to shift your mindset, if you're willing to take a broader perspective, if you're willing to build that environment where there's greater trust and there's greater autonomy, um, and of course, that you know that that doesn't come overnight. And as much as if you've had a particular leadership style in place, um, but there's not a lot of trust. The environment's quite toxic. You're not going to go from one to the other overnight. But I guess what we're offering in, in Glassman, and this is why I'm really thrilled about our collaboration, is I, I kind of see what we do together under Glassman strategies and how we can help other organisations is like it's like the art and the craft and the science coming together you know the the neurobiology in terms of really understanding how people um, how their brains work and how our minds work with the what's what's the reality of the kind of day-to-day -day experience that people are having um and especially when it's not very good and especially when they're facing burnout so i guess what what you and i have created and we're eating our own lunch because we you know we've run our very own program in uh, in glassman with our own organization is um we've imaginatively called this Ruby 7, haven't we, in terms of this, bringing together the, the model that we're now calling Ruby, which is an acronym for Resolve to uh, Ultimately Be Yourself, with your tremendous work with the drivers and, and the seven to create this programmatic version of how to help people work at that um, the starting point for this has been at the, at the me level. It's, you know, you and I often talk about, you know, let's fit our own oxygen masks first. Um, and you know, let, let's get people breathing in the air that gives them the, the, the ability to, to sort of stop and pause and, and draw breath and start to think differently. And I think that's, that starts with me, that starts with the, the, the kind of the self-awareness, the realization that if we keep doing the same thing, whether that's in how we're driving our careers and our working lives and trying to balance it all, keep doing the same thing. We don't change it for us, but we certainly don't change it for the organizations that we're in. And, and to my mind, that doesn't seem to matter whether that's very senior people on the board or, you know, chief executives or right the way through to frontline people um, who've obviously got much more profile in terms of frontline services and social care, healthcare, early education, you know, the sectors that I've worked in. Um, doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. It is about how do we how do we stop and take breath and start focusing on what needs to change to do this differently? And you know, the work that we're trying to do and what we're trying to bring through Glassman's strategies is a realization that this can be different, a realization that we don't need to keep doing the same old, same old. And so what, what does that look like? Um, and it all starts with, I think, that awareness, that appreciation that, okay, let's work with people who are seeing this differently, who have been doing it differently, who've got the research and the evidence base and, and can help us sort of hold our hand. Um, and think about this in, in a different way. So I think I think that's our starting point really as we as we bring this together. Definitely. And I and I think that I love I love the whole being able to eat our lunch. I love that, you know, we're 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 bringing it to fruition and life 
with those that will be working within Glass Moon and those that are in receipt of services. Um, and then I think for me, the ability to be able to pull together that blueprint that can be used for leaders, strategists, um, people practitioners, um, and underpinned by um, the, the programmatic element of it, of learning and to bring to life the, the evidence-based tools and techniques that can really make a difference and make it truly tangible for as wide as, as we possibly can. I think it will be absolutely, absolutely fantastic. As you say, it, it, it can be different. You know, when, when you've got a, a, a research coming out saying that the workplace is now the fifth leading cause of, of death because of the rise in workplace stress due to long hours and work-life conflict, amongst other things, you know, we've, we've got to do it differently. And I know, obviously, we're, we're recording this um, as we're easing out of lockdown. But I, I tell you, if a global pandemic doesn't get us to sit up and, and work out that we can do things differently, I, I, I honestly, I don't know, I don't know what will. Um, but yeah, I think I think the ability to make it really tangible. And, and I think also what I love about it is the, is the is the support through technology as well. I mean, Glass Moon is is absolutely supporting the entirety of the, the digital process of it um, and I know Ruby's going to be coming to life through that that digital version um, I just wonder if you want to tell a little bit more about that yes so um, when, I, when I was doing the research I, I remember speaking to this very senior woman who um, who gave me some really great sort of ideas and insights into her career and just as we were coming to the end of the sort of I prefer to call them sort of conversations rather than semi-structured interviews which is a bit um you know, a bit formal so we were having a, a great a great chat and she was brilliant actually just at the very end of the conversation she said to me oh I've been using this sleep app and it's fantastic and she said I'm, I'm really like kind of I rec recognize that sleep is so important to me and of course the whole sleep movement's become quite quite big in the last few years and um, so she said yes and I, I was in a board meeting and I was comparing my the quality of my sleep to somebody else's sleep and uh, my sleep was definitely better and I just there was there was a bit of me that sort of thought, oh, my God, people are getting competitive over the quality of their sleep. Is that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? But actually, as I thought about it more, the bit that really struck me was that, oh, my goodness, what what is that? Sleep is so important. But actually, what is that about? It's using technology to help us understand our kind of, you know, our, our behaviors on something that's fairly fundamental to our performance. Um and our quality of life and our you know daily experience and stuff like that and she's using her data really well I would potentially argue possibly quite competitively um but it just really made me think in terms of the model that we've created out of the research um what if we could turn that into an app what if we could make that an app where okay it's not about sleep um or, or counting calories it's, it's not going to be that kind of app but what if we could get the ideas and the insights together into a digital format so into an app that helps people you know with the, with the five factors get get their effort harmony and to navigate their their work and life and they get you know interesting data points and especially what came out in a lot of the kind of the findings and the conclusions when I put it all together was our nuanced data and combining different bits of our multiple identities and our competing priorities in our working life. What if we could really see that at a nuanced level and a granular level and it gave us different insights and it gave us a level of awareness that we just simply didn't have without having this sort of in front of us. And because the research was very much based on storytelling and a cultural context and understanding our, our narrative and 
What does that look like historically? What does it look like in the current context? What could it look like going forward if we've got greater awareness? It just, it was that, that's what I mean about a sort of, that's why I love an epiphany or a turning point because that, it was that almost missed conversation at the end of that um, discussion about somebody's career that gave me the idea. And so I kind of, I wrote it down or I, I drew a diagram or whatever, I sort of squirreled it away. And then as we were starting to really sort of bring together the, the different business models that we talked about in the previous recording in Glass Moon, one of the things that just kept coming back to me, it kept sort of speaking to me was, what about the app? What about the app? How you gonna, how could you digitalize this? And of course, technology is a, is a big part of what we're trying to do in terms of combining with the, the human experience. I just said to the team at one point last year, we're going to create an app and it's going to be called Ruby and it's going to have its original sort of its origins in some of the findings about how we effectively help create an app. And so we're thinking Ruby is going to be a digital personal assistant that will use your data really well from a data self-sovereignty point of view to help you navigate uh, your career and where you, where you want to be. And so that's what we're that's what we're currently working on. I love it. Wish I'd had that some time ago. Might have been a smooth journey. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I think I think the ability to be able to use technology for, for for real good, for enabling, for empowerment, to give us some agency around how we frame our past, how we can step and really cherish the present and how we can start to affect our future um, is, is just absolutely fantastic. So I want to sort of bring us to, to a close on here in terms of, of the, the really the very quick run through of what's actually been many years of, of research uh, into a culmination of now really tangible um, products that, are, that we've got and are still being developed. Um, and and I, often, I often look at sort of the world and, and I think about what I'd love to see. And I, and I, I sort of tend to sum it up in, I'd, I'd love us to stop trying to fit the human into the workplace and actually create workplaces that are fit for humans. Um, so I thought I'd throw that one back to you as well in terms of, of your vision, what you'd love to see as a result of some of the work that we can do. Yeah, and I read a, a book by an Australian um, journalist called Stop Trying to Fix the Women and Fix the System. And it really resonated with me in terms of you know the work environment you know I've talked about this so many times you know the work environments are almost out of the sort of 19th century and in fact um one of the team that works with us in Glassman talks about people being 18th century mill owners in terms of how they run their organizations which every time he says that it really makes me laugh but I think actually there's an element of truth to that in terms of we've we've constructed these organizations and systems and processes and and, and how it works and I just don't think it works anymore. And I, I do truly hope that as we emerge from the current context that we're in, that we take the opportunity to reset. You know, people are starting to talk about, are we gonna kind of, you know, human behavior being what it is, it takes a long time to change. And so people are talking about, you know, working flexibly is gonna be a key thing and it's here to stay now. Um, you know, we're just gonna adapt to this new way of working. And I'm, I'm not convinced we will unless we do it really consciously unless organizations say okay what what worked in in lockdown uh, what did not work and where people did not feel connected and i think i'm a, i'm a massive believer in there's always a sweet spot there's not a sort of everything has to be centralized or decentralized obviously depending on the nature and the context of the of the organization but it's trying to sort of dig in and find the sweet spot of 
just by way of a really simple example of how much time do people need to spend in offices or environments where they're coming together and they're connecting and there's the face-to-face bit, which we know as human beings, we're programmed for that. We know it's really, really important. But equally, how much can now be done, you know, on Zoom, Teams, whatever the platform of choice is in a way that saves commuting, you know, saves us being away from our families and the thing, other things we want to do, you know. Um, so let's, you know, I'd really encourage organisations and some of the organisations that we're working with to kind of really dig in and, and let's just not, you know, it's, it's not one thing or another. It's let's make it contextual, let's make it relevant and let's let people have a say in how it's going to work out so that they can do their best work and they can optimise their performance. Because back to the conversation we were having earlier about um, if we can do that, I think we'll generate or will sustain where there's been real intrinsic motivation and all sorts of roles and organisations and sectors to really, you know, work hard during these incredibly difficult times because we will generate enormous amounts of discretionary effort from that and I just know I've seen it in organizations where you can generate that discretionary effort what can be achieved risks that can be avoided is is incredible and I think that's what we've really got to hold ourselves to account as leaders and senior peoples to take ownership of that and create the conditions where that can happen. Fantastic, as always. Well, look, here's to the rise of the human organisation, which, of course, is going to be one of our coming up podcasts. Um, So thanks, Carol. Absolutely brilliant to talk to you again um, and to really get underneath the skin of the glass moon formula and the elements that are coming together into something very tangible and and real and so exciting. So thanks ever so much for listening. Next um, week or next episode, we're going to start looking at actually what Carol was just talking about then actually, the power of flexible working. Uh, What actually is it, and and really, as we say, we're coming out of this context, how can we use it to really power the human being and the human organisation? Um, And following on from that, we're going to be delving into many different uh, thought leadership uh, areas um, to bring you some really valuable uh, data and insights um, and just things to get us to start chewing over and changing perhaps our mindsets about how how we do work. So thanks all. Speak soon.